0: We're reading from First Thessalonians, chapter one, verses one through ten. This is the entire first chapter of First Thessalonians. Paul, Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love. And your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcome the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven. Whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Good morning, church family. Thank you, Curtis and Jerome and Steve for your words and prayers and songs. I've really grown to love and enjoy the book of First Thessalonians. You know, in the first century, many of the churches, let's face it, they were bad at a lot of things. Uh, likely due to the big change that the gospel demanded in their lifestyle and in their worldview. But the church in the city of Thessalonica was really good at a lot of things, and they had some serious faith. They followed Jesus Christ very closely. And you can really sense joy and excitement in Paul's words as he begins to write this letter to the church in Thessalonica. Let me give you a little bit of background as we get started on the city of Thessalonica. Of Thessalonica it was a very prominent and important city in the Roman Empire it was located on the major highway that ran east of Rome to the end of the Empire it was called the Via Ignatia and it was 700 miles long 20 feet wide paved with stone it was really a marvel of civil engineering for the first century not only was it located on this major highway it was like located On a port, it was a port city, which made it a very connected city as well. It was the capital of Macedonia at the time, and it was designated by the Roman Empire as a free city. And what this means is the Roman Empire gave it uh, the the ability to self-rule a little bit, sort of a ploy to gain the city's loyalty. To Rome, Thessalonica was a very important city. So this city had a lot of prestige. It was connected to the rest of the world. It was very prominent. And just as rich in its cultural heritage, was it rich in its religious pagan practices. Dominated by idolatry. And sexual immorality. So I say all this to say that spreading the gospel in this city was not an easy gig. It was a culture opposed to. To the gospel and opposed to Jesus Christ. So when people start turning from their idols and turn towards God, as our scripture says, you got to think that Paul might have been thinking, really, is this really happening in Thessalonica, this prominent Roman city? So you can imagine the excitement that is bubbling up inside of Paul because he realizes that God is calling people out of this city and they are actually responding positively putting their faith in Jesus Christ It's almost unbelievable Except for the fact that when we read our scripture it says that the gospel came to them not only in words but also with power and with the holy spirit And we need to remember that today that when we talk about Jesus when we spread the gospel to the community, it's not simply our words, but it's also powerful. There's power in those words. There's some Holy Spirit in those words. We need to remember that. So as I read this scripture, as I read First Thessalonians, I think to myself, "Is my faith this strong? Is my faith as strong as the Christians in Thessalonica was? What about the Christian faith?" In America? How about the faith of Christians in Kansas City or at Heartland Church of Christ? Does it stand up to the faith of those at Thessalonica in the first century? Do we have the faith that will last and endure in a culture that is opposed to Jesus and the gospel? Because it is. Even through persecution, will our faith stand up? The churches that we read about in the New Testament, they're not perfect, but this church in Thessalonica had some serious faith, staying strong, even amidst persecution and temptation from a pagan culture. It's very similar to today, actually. But God has blessed us in this country with freedom of religion, and we can come here freely and worship God, talk about Jesus all we want. We have the freedom to do that, and we're not likely to. To face the exact same type of persecution that the Christians in Thessalonica faced. But you know what? That day might come. Uh, I don't know if it would surprise very many of us today if, if we did hear about Christians being persecuted around here. That's just the, the nature of our culture. Paul and the Thessalonians were very courageous. But courage... Manifests itself in more ways than just enduring physical threats. You see, each time you try to bring up Jesus in a conversation, each time you try to share your faith with somebody. Or each time you try to do the right thing when everybody else is doing the wrong thing. Each time you do these things, you open yourself up to rejection. Even humiliation. And what's more Here at church, every time you volunteer to teach a class or to say a prayer or to host a fellowship meal, anytime you do these things, you expose yourself, you open yourself up to making a mistake. You even open up yourself to... To uh, criticism and maybe feeling like you didn't do a good job or you were a failure. Maybe I've witnessed very courageous people share their faith, mention Jesus in their conversation and they're laughed at. I've seen very courageous people teach a class for the first time and kind of stumble and bumble through that or leading a prayer for the first time. I've been there myself. Kind of still do that a little bit. You see, being a Christian is not safe. And it takes some courage. It makes you vulnerable. And let's face it, none of us like to be vulnerable. Who in here likes to be vulnerable? Anybody? I didn't think so. That's why whenever I hear a story of any of you who have shared your faith with somebody else, or if I hear a story of somebody stepping outside of their comfort zone and doing something that they didn't think that they could do, or when I Witness a teenager who volunteers to lead. That really inspires me. Because that takes courage. Being a Christian is not safe. So being a Christian is not safe. What are we going to do about it? Can we solve this problem? How do we make Christianity safe? Well, I believe that we're never going to make Christianity, being a Christian, Completely safe. That's just not the nature of the game. So when we ask the question, how can we make being a Christian safe? We're really asking a bad question. Yet in this country, how we long for safety and comfort and security. We seek safety. We prepare for safety. We plan safety. We demand safety On a national level, on a family level, and on a personal level. We treat safety as a right. Do you know what the most asked question is of international tour guides and travel agents? It's not, how much is this going to cost me? It's not, well, will my family enjoy this experience? You know, you can go take those... uh, Uh, Trips to the Bible lands and see where Jesus walked and you can see where some of the events of the New Testament and the Old Testament took place. Uh, One of my professors at Harding, he's a, a tour guide for for one of these tours. And he says the first question that he almost always gets is, is it safe? Is it safe? So I believe that we need to remove this question from our lives from our vocabularies is being a christian safe because frankly it's it's not going to be all the time it's not going to be safe and i believe the first step that we must take in order to remove this question from our lives that not always think about safety is to pull ourselves away from our culture our culture has infiltrated our spirituality it leads us to ask such a bad question. Let me explain did any of you watch the Super Bowl this year not for the actual game okay not for not even for the halftime show and not to watch Lady Gaga sing the national anthem how many of you watched the Super Bowl for the commercials? People actually simply watched the Super Bowl, Super Bowl the biggest football game of the year, just to watch the commercials. It's incredible. Well, did you know that the average American is exposed to 3,000 commercial uh, messages and images every day? 3,000 every day. Many of these commercials, especially the the uh, infomercials you ever get glued into an infomercial where you can almost memorize the line, you know, and that's not all folks you get this all for free. Well, those commercials, many of them follow the same formula, two step formula. The first step is they can try to convince you that you're not happy, right? Well, before I had this product, my life was a wreck. My house was a disaster. I couldn't keep my hair straight. Nobody wanted to be my friend. Couldn't sleep at night. My husband was unfaithful. Right? That's the first step. The second step is then to convince you that for just 1999, this product will change your life. And it will solve all your problems instantly. But after I found this product, my life has completely changed. Everybody now wants to be my friend. I can sleep at night. I'm losing weight. And my sex life is spectacular. Okay, you watch those subtle messages are there. And you know what? It's all a lie. None of it is reality whatsoever. It's a fantasy world. But we believe it sometimes, don't we? A motto that our culture lives by is this. Let no debt remain outstanding except a continuing debt to love yourself. For whoever loves herself gets what she deserves. Consumerism dominates our culture and it communicates to us that we deserve to be catered to that our own personal comfort bubble should be what we think about all the time that should be our top priority of how to satisfy that and it's a lie every day you get 3,000 opportunities to think about how to serve yourself how you can make your life easier more comfortable more prestigious more appealing to other people Well, how many times a day are you reminded about how you can serve others? Ways you can dedicate your time and your money to help other people or to help the spreading of the gospel? I'm guessing it's probably not three thousand times a day. You see, our culture values self. Comfort and safety. While Jesus Christ. Who is the head of this family here? Values humility, service, and sacrifice. Those things are at the opposite ends of this of the spectrum. Our culture and Jesus are at opposite ends of the spectrum. So, in our scripture from First Thessalonians chapter one, Paul says that the Thessalonians turned from their idols to serve. The one true and living God. Now, I wonder if we sometimes get that mixed up and we think that God is the one that's supposed to be serving us. Do we ever think that it it seems outlandish even to just think about it, much less say it? But be honest. What do you expect from God? Safety. A comfortable life. Happiness. Happiness. If your children are are faithful to God's call, do you think um, you expect that for your children? You see, when we are trained by something when we're trained by the consumerism in our culture to believe that we deserve things such as happiness, comfort, safety, then we start expecting that from other places at work, at home, at church. In our relationship with God. The obsessive. Concern. Over comfort. And safety. Is just as much an idol today. As Baal and Zeus were idols. In the first century. These idols of comfort. And safety. Demand that we put our. Devotion. Our praise our worship. Somewhere other than God. And of course. That's on ourselves, our own comforts and our own safety and security. You know, I think that God might be calling me to do this. But I know that'll make me very uncomfortable. Not sure if I want to do that. And, you know, I think God called me to this one time, but I know it wasn't the safest thing. So probably a good thing I didn't do that. What just happened there? Safety and comfort, they're not necessarily bad things, but where should they stand in relation to God's will for us, to what God is calling you to do? Sometimes it doesn't involve complete comfort and safety. Sometimes there's some risk. I hope you guys don't mind. I'm going to tell uh, sort of a personal illustration. Uh, During my time at... Harding, I've come to realize how powerful of an idol comfort and safety really are. When I began my academic career at at Harding, I I was single. I uh, lived in in a pretty nice home. I had a a nice cushy desk job and retirement plan. Um, I had season tickets to K-State football. I actually still have those. Um, I had 300 channels on my TV, and I lived two blocks away from a bronze. Life was good. I had it made, right? I kind of lived in a little, my own comfort bubble. It was safe, it was secure, it was, it was easy, but I, I was unchallenged, you know. I went to church each Sunday, sure. But if I'm honest, I was there to get fed there, too. For my own peace of mind. So I was a consumer in the world. And I let that leak into other aspects of my life, including at church and in my relationship with God. So I was a consumer there as well. So now one of my motivations for my ministry going forward is to pay back my brothers and sisters in Christ. For all the spiritual gluttony. Romans chapter 13, verse 8 says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the debt to love one another, the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. What would your life be like if you were reminded of that scripture 3,000 times a day? What about. Just three times a day. How would your life change? We need to find ways to combat those 3000 commercial messages every day. That's important. Maybe it's wearing a bracelet with a scripture on it that you see all the time. Or maybe it's changing the screensaver on your computer to a positive message. Maybe it's turning off the channel. Or turning off the TV an hour earlier every night. Find a way to remind yourself of truth and reality. Not those lies that our culture throws at you. It's important that we live in truth and reality. Because as humans, for whatever reason, we find it very easy to believe in lies, don't we? And especially when they add to our comfort and our safety and our enjoyment and our pleasure. So now when I watch TV, um, I have this bad habit of changing the channel whenever the commercial break comes on. Uh, when Alicia and I are watching TV, and it drives Alicia crazy. So Alicia, I want to tell you as she walks to the back, I only do that to protect our family's spiritual life. <laughs> hey, it was worth a try, wasn't it? Um, actually, there is one button on your remote that I encourage you to use. Uh, the mute button is a very important button. Uh, God put it there for a reason. So use that mute button. Well, let me let me give you an example of a life that was not defined by the pursuit happiness or the pursuit of comfort or the pursuit of safety. Um, this is from the January 2016 edition of a publication called The Voice of the Martyrs. It's a little magazine. Maybe you've heard of it. It's a good, good magazine. But this article is called Fearless for Christ, and it starts this way. <clears throat> Four masked gunmen charged into Mohammed Yusuf's home on the evening of July 1st, pushed his wife aside and demanded to talk to him. After he stepped forward, the gunman escorted the 43-year-old father of three outside his home in the Kashmir Valley and shot him seven times, killing him. Those who worked with Yusuf described him as being a fearless, bold, and passionate believer who would not be quiet about Christ. In the end, his unflinching faith and evangelism of Kashmiri Muslims in North India led to his death. Since leaving Islam himself in 1999... Yusuf had known that his life could end this way. Before his death, Yusuf discussed the Islamists' effort to stop the spread of Christianity and the fear this caused among Christians. In Kashmir, we can see the Islamic leader start a movement to crush the believers in Kashmir Valley. But this book, the Bible, changed my life forever, he said. I want to share my testimony of it. Despite the dangers, Yusuf boldly shared his faith in big ways. He helped create a disciple-making movement among Muslim converts and distributed thousands of Bibles. It would be fair to say that Muslims have been receptive to the gospel in Kashmir. The church grows, and Yusuf was seen by many as the leader of the church in Kashmir. After a major earthquake in the region, Yusuf worked with others to provide health and dental care. He also distributed solar power and brought clean drinking water to thousands of people. Such sacrificial acts of service had been a reflection of his deep faith ever since he encountered God through the scriptures and left Islam. Life wasn't easy after he turned to Christ, but he felt God's presence. I got lots of persecution to my family, he said. My son was tortured. My daughter was also tortured. By different people. Of course, we get persecuted to body, but we are getting so much peace. Yusuf was grateful for how these experiences increased his faith and helped him experience the peace of God. Citing Matthew five ten, he he had said the persecution was a blessing. Matthew 5:10 is the beatitude that says, "Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." So back to our first Thessalonians, scripture. Paul gives the Christians there who are making a tremendous effort to remain faithful despite persecution. He gives them some advice in chapter five. He says, "Be joyful always. Pray continually." Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. It sounds like what Paul would have said to Yusuf as well. Christianity is not safe. It takes some courage. It's risky. It takes courage. It takes some nerve to be faithful. Well, so far... I haven't made being a Christian sound very good, have I? Well, next week I have the pulpit as well. And I hope to give you some motivation. To be faithful. To do something you haven't done before. To take a risk. To step outside of your comfort zone. And I hope to show you that why being a Christian is worth all the risk and all the discomfort. And know that. God doesn't intend us to be in harm's way. He doesn't intend for us to be slandered. Or criticized. But God can work miracles through those things in people's lives and can bring peace. Through those things. And it's perfectly healthy to pray for safety. Paul prayed for it. Jesus prayed for it. We should pray for it, too. So what now? What I encourage you to do this week. And this is important for the Christian to do every week, every day of their lives. What I encourage you to do this week. Is really pay attention to what God might be asking of you to do that maybe you've been afraid to do in the past. Maybe somebody comes to mind right now. Maybe it's somebody you work with or whatever, Maybe somebody comes to mind that God's been calling you to talk to, to encourage, to mention Jesus in your conversations. Maybe you need to invite somebody to dinner or invite somebody to church. Maybe you need to uh, step outside of your comfort zone here at church and lead a prayer for the first time or teach a class. Something like that. It's not safe, it's a little risky. It takes courage. But it's completely worth it. Maybe you just need to love better and love more often. And maybe this morning, God is calling you to turn from your idols. And turn to God, the true and living God, and put your faith in Jesus Christ. It takes some courage. It's risky. But if you're called to do that this morning, I encourage you to come forward. You can come to the front While we sing a song in just a second, you can talk to me or an elder who will be up front. If you have the courage to come forward, please do so now as we stand and sing.